Well, good morning. My name is Jordan. If I haven't met you yet, we're glad that you're here with us. I'm the pastor here, one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to open God's Word with you this morning. And as, as Chad mentioned earlier, we are walking through uh, just a simple four-week series on the vision and mission of our church. And so um, we're going to wrap that up today. And the next week, we're going to jump into uh, um, a series on uh, gender and sexuality. We're calling it Very Good. Um, God's design for gender and sexuality. And, and our hope in that is to really unpack and, and um, exalt the, the beauty of God's design and how he made us. And there's, there's a lot of conversation, as you know. This is, I don't even really need to pitch this other than just, like, you know it's relevant, but our, our heart is to be helpful, uh, not to draw lines and not to uh, make God's people further from any, any group that is labeled as them or, or outside, whatever, but rather to help us as God's people see the brokenness that is there is actually the root of sin, and the, 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 the solution to sin is Jesus and the gospel, and, and how do we step into that, and how, how, is, how is sexuality redeemed, and how is God's design for, for gender good for the world, and how do we live it out faithfully, personally, corporately, as a church, but also how do we minister to a world who is increasingly confused about the matter and increasingly broken. And, 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 and the, the, the thing we always want to kind of help people see, help ourselves see, is that they're not, they're broken just like we are broken. They're broken um, because of sin. And, and, and by they, I'm talking about people that are struggling with, with sexual you know, disorientation and, and, and struggles like that. We don't want to put them in their own category and think about us and them. The, 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 there's a lot of culture wars going on. We don't want to get swept up in either side of that. Rather, we want to be faithful to the Scriptures. We want to be faithful to the way that Jesus would love on the folks in our world. And so that's our hope, just, you know, just, just that, just that little bit. Hope we can walk through that in a few weeks. Nobody got my joke. It's a lot to unpack. Uh, it's a big task, so we appreciate your prayers as we, as we walk through that and, and, and plan for that series um, be several weeks long, and so uh, we hope that you come back and join us and, and bring a friend. We hope that it's, uh, it's a really rich and, and helpful time, uh, not just to rally the troops for those that already agree with us, but really for folks checking out Christianity and maybe struggling with that brokenness. That We want this to be a space where they can come and hear, what does God say? What does God's Word say about my sexuality and about my gender, and, and how does my struggles uh, how, how, are, how are they resolved? How are they met by the ministry of Jesus Christ? So that's our hope. That starts next week. So today we're wrapping up Love God, Connect People, Transform the World. Um, and as we talk about that piece of transforming the world, that's a, that's a grandiose like, statement for a church to say. You sort of expect the church to be on a mission like that and to, do, you know, to have something like that in a tagline. But what does that mean? How does it work? Why would we care? And then more than that, whose role? What do we do? How does that actually happen? Is that just like, okay, we'll transform the world if, if Jordan's good and the band's good, we'll grow the church? Or is, or is it, you know, if we send out enough missionaries, what, what does that look like? And so that's what we want to uh, land this plane today on our vision and mission series. And, and I want to talk a little bit about um, the, the purpose of us as, as people. Purpose is so important, not just for Christians, not just for a church to have, but just for humans in general. If you just Google, like, do humans need purpose uh, or, or anything like that, you, you will get a bunch of hits, a bunch of books, right? A bunch of books written about purpose. Uh, this is like, uh, you remember years ago, The Purpose Driven Life, written by Rick Warren, flew off the shelf. So it's still one of the, the bestsellers of all time because people are longing for, like, what is my life purpose? What does it mean? But one of the top hits is, is an article, a uh, non-Christian deal from Psychology Today, that just says the need for purpose 
is one of the defining characteristics of human beings. Again, this is not Christian. This is just, this is just psychologists, people, sociologists studying the world and studying people and their struggles. And it says human beings crave purpose and, um, and suffer serious psychological difficulties when we don't have it. Purpose is a fundamental component of a fulfilling life. That particular article then goes on to talk about uh, the life of a former uh, soccer player in Europe that after retirement just struggled to have a purpose and life really went spiraling out of control. I'm sure you could fill in the blank with your own story of, of people who struggled to find purpose after a career was ended. And we see this in our, in our, our military folks a lot whenever like they have a, a highly concentrated career that becomes an identity and then you know, that doesn't last you know, to the traditional retirement age and they struggle to, to know what's next. And I don't want to oversimplify. There's a lot of struggles with our vets reassimilating, but, but one of the, the primary issues is that they had a really clear purpose before. They knew what they got up to do. They knew what that looked like. And, and you take that out of their life, and, and, and it's a struggle. We see this with athletes that retire. We see this with, uh, you know, just, just a number of people, uh, you know, if you've got an adolescent, you know, coming into that, you know, late high school, uh, you know, college age, what, what is my purpose? What does that look like? And so uh, this is a, I agree, it's actually a fundamental human question. But even though there's all of this, written and all of this, um, you know, cultural conversation about that. And, and, and even beyond the Bible, there's people talking about, hey, you know, it's better, like something as simple and as common as a statement that says it's better to give than to receive, right? What, what that's hitting at is that we as people need something beyond ourselves if we're actually going to be mentally healthy, spiritually, socially healthy, right? And, and so it, just simple statements like that are, are pointing us to this bigger reality that we need a purpose beyond ourselves. And, and the, the, the world is hinting at this issue of we need a purpose, but they're not able to fully solve it and resolve it because the gospel is the only thing that actually sets us free from ourselves and allows us to have a purpose that's beyond ourselves. Because even if we are a good person and we, we have a lot of good causes and do a lot of good things, those ultimately oftentimes get bent back on us and become about us. People doing good things are often doing those good things for themselves and not for other people. Even if they don't say it that way, it becomes this idol that actually serves our own identity. And the, the gospel is actually what sets us free from that and sets us out to then transform the world. And that's what Paul is talking about in this incredible book. There's a lot of context to 2 Corinthians that I don't have time to fully share with you today. I, I would encourage you to, to uh, watch the, gospel pro or the Bible Project video. The overview of 2 Corinthians is quite helpful because there, there's, there is a lot of context to Paul writing this letter. But we're going to jump into this really powerful and, and somewhat famous passage from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and let it hopefully uh, inform us and then, just like Paul says, compel us or control us to live uh, for the love of Christ, to, to be controlled and compelled by the love of Christ. So in uh, verse 11 of chapter 5, Paul is, is, uses that word, therefore, that which should trigger us to look back at what, what is he talking about, what is he referring to. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So therefore, if you look back to verse 10, what he's referring to is he's realizing that we will all stand before God in judgment. That's the therefore. He's, because we, we know that this, all of this ends with us, every one of us, standing before God in judgment. That is going to inform what he, what he says next and really what he, what he does with his life next. Now, if you've been with us, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? This is, this is the big idea that Solomon was pounding into us through Ecclesiastes, wasn't he? 
Is it, the only way you'll find meaning in your life, the only way you'll find the purpose of life is to understand how life ends. And it ends with us standing before a holy God. And that then allows us to reverse engineer how do we want to live our life now? How should we live our life? How are we being called to live our life? So Paul says, because we're going to stand before a holy God, therefore, knowing that fear of the Lord, that, and this is where it's so helpful because Ecclesiastes talked a lot about fearing God and that being the ultimate purpose. But it's hard to kind of put flesh, like what does that actually mean? And, and Paul is going to say here, knowing that fear of the Lord, it actually informs his life, informs uh, how he lives and, and what he does with his life. And so because he knows that fear of the Lord, he does something specific. He says, we persuade others. Now, this is being written uh, with a particular purpose in mind. As I said, there's a lot of context. I want to give you a little, although I can't give you as much as, as would be really fun for me. But I'll try to just understand that 2 Corinthians is, is the second letter that we have written to the church of, of Corinth in the Bible. We actually don't think it's the, 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 the second letter. There was probably one in between. And there was a visit in between. If you were with us when we walked through 1 Corinthians... Uh, that church was a mess, and Paul had to do a whole lot of cleanup, a whole lot of harsh teaching uh, to get them back on track. There was, there was a lot of, of sin issues. There was a lot of, like, they were a party church. They were, they were wild. They, they were wild folk. And so he, he wrote 1 Corinthians. He, he lined out a lot of things, from the misuse of spiritual gifts to all kinds of sexuality confusion to just idolatry in general, just all kinds of stuff. People kind of buck up against him and they're like, well, who are you, Paul? Who are you to tell us what to do? And it doesn't go real well. The sermon doesn't land real well when that, when that letter is read to, to the people at Corinth. And some people re repent and respond and go, you know what, you're right, Paul. Other people are like, who are you, Paul? Well, old boy's been here preaching and teaching for weeks. He doesn't care what we do. I'm going to go with him, right? And we get this division. And so Paul actually has to come. He references what he calls as a painful visit. Um, he has some real heart-to-heart -heart situations uh, and, and conversations with these folks. And then, then he leaves again, and he's writing a follow-up letter. Uh, and a lot of, of, of what is in this letter, 2 Corinthians, is, is about reconciliation, and it's also about continued exhortation. So he wants to reconcile with these folks, but, but he's also not willing to compromise the truths of, of, of what God has called them to and some really concerning trajectories that this church is on, okay? And so uh, when, as he's writing this, part of what you're going to see in this context is actually a defense or an explanation of his own motivations as a pastor and as a church planner and as a missionary, so that's actually where this is coming from. It doesn't mean it's specific to pastors and church planners. It, I, what he's you know, really leading us to is saying, hey, follow, he, he will even say, like, follow me as I follow Jesus. And so this is uh, applicable to all of us, but you need to know that's kind of the, the tense uh, at which he is he's writing this. And so he says, because we know the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. This is what his, his life has turned into. It's about persuading others to turn to Jesus. It's about preaching the gospel. It's about fulfilling the Great Commission. If you know what Jesus left his disciples with in Matthew 28, as he's ascending into heaven, he's like, hey, this party's not over. It's just getting started. Like, I've done my work to bring salvation, and now, like, it's, a, it's about to get lit. We sang that song that, that says, and then the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. I love that imagery, and it's, and it, it's straight from the book of Acts because then the church is, is, is actually sent out into the world, and if you trace it throughout history, you see the, the gospel of Jesus just moving throughout 
the globe, and it continues to do so today. And that, that's, that's what's happening. And so as he's ascending into heaven, he's saying, I know you're sad that I'm leaving, but it's actually going to be better because I'm sending the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to empower you to take this message forward. And what he tells them to do is go make disciples. Go make disciples, preaching and teaching, uh, you, know, t- you know, bringing them into the kingdom and then teaching them all that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is the purpose of the church. This is the fulfillment of the mission that Jesus came to, to launch and then empower his people to do. So Paul is doing that. Paul was one of the primary agents that, that um, began to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem and Israel and, and into the pagan nations of the world, the Gentiles and the Romans. And, and, and it's an amazing story as you trace out what's actually happening. So he's saying, Because I know I'm going to stand before God, and because he's called me to a particular purpose, my life is all about persuading others. And and so he goes on to say, what we are known to God, uh, what we are is known to God. So there's some questions about his uh, motivations and his credentials, and even some people asking for like letters of recommendation, like, well, can other people validate that you actually have the authority to, to, to be telling us what to do? And Paul gets a little frustrated at that. He's like, you are my validation. Like, I preach to you, and the Spirit is coming, embedded in you, and, and, and you are my letter of recommendation. God has worked through us and through this ministry to bring about the change that you see in you. And so he says, listen, who I am is known to God. I hope it's also known to your conscience. Like, what he's saying, if you actually think about it, you know that, you know, my motives were pure. I'm just preaching the gospel. He says, we're not commending ourselves to you again by giving you cause to boast about us so that you may, or, or, sorry, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you might be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not what is in the heart. Okay, so here's where we're headed. Um, Paul is saying, my whole life is now given to persuading others. Paul's life was so radically changed by Jesus that then Jesus sent him out, and he's like, absolutely, I'll go. It's, it's a parallel in many ways. If you know the story of Isaiah 6, he stands before a holy God. He realizes his place in the world is, is minuscule and, and filthy compared to this holy, righteous, and incredible God. And, 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 and then he's pardoned by this God, not because he deserves it, but because this God is good. And then God says, hey, I have a mission. And Isaiah's like, well, of course, send me whatever you need. Paul is similar. Paul was was you know, killing Christians. Paul was radically opposed to the gospel, and then Jesus saved him. And Jesus saved him so radically that then he's sent out on this mission, and he walks away from a life of notoriety and, um, and probably comfort to spend the rest of his days um, poor, oftentimes homeless, suffering, being humiliated, actually physically beaten, and living on ships and planting churches in hard places, doing the rest of his life is marked with ministry that is really hard. And, and people actually didn't love that about him. He actually wasn't the charismatic leader that they wanted to have. So in some ways, this passage, the very impetus for this book being written is actually an encouragement to you and I. Because as we think about transforming the world, Here's how this all connects together. Because of the love of God, because of what he's shown us in Jesus, because of who he is and how he has loved us, we are sent out. As Paul's going to say later, we're given this ministry of reconciliation. So our vision and mission is that we, we, we want to 
see people reconciled to God, restored to the original purpose of their life. And that means they need to be uh, reconciled to a relationship with God, right? Loving God, receiving his love, and then loving him in return. But then also being known by his people, having relationships. So we're restored vertically to God. Then we get restored horizontally to people. We're actually known. We're actually loved. We actually care for one another. Is it easy? Is it perfect? No. Will we mess it up? Yes. Will we hurt each other? Yes. But we're brought into this community. That's, that's the second purpose. But then it, it doesn't end there because if it's just about you know, loving God and knowing him and then knowing one another, that, that can become really me-focused. But if we realize what Jesus is up to and that his mission isn't over, now that gives us a purpose as well. So we're brought in and then we're sent out. So we're brought into the family of God by Jesus and his blood, but then we're sent out. Well, that's exactly what Paul is, is talking about, that he was brought in as an outsider made an insider, forgiven and cleansed, and sent out to, to be on mission. So for us, many of you think, okay, like, transform the world. What, what does that mean, Jordan? Like, you need us to give some more money. You need us to invite some more people here. How does, how does that play out here at The Journey? And, and we get that question sometimes, like, what's The Journey's outreach ministry? What, how are we uh, active in the community and, and trying to reach people? And, and the way that we really want to do that, the, the way that the, this church was, was launched is, is not to be a big event driven church, to not to do a bunch of, of big events where we kind of draw attention and bring people in and maybe we give them some stuff. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But if we don't know those people the other 364 days of the year, it likely hasn't been real effective. And so what we really want to do at The Journey is find ways to equip all of you to actually be on ministry, to be on mission where you live where you work, where you play, where you go. Because the, the way that the, the kingdom actually is going to go forward is not by, you know, people coming in here most likely. Like, let's just, let's just follow Jesus. Let's just follow what Jesus did. Did Jesus just come and set up shop in a church and hope that people came by to hear him? No, he, he was active. He was he was pursuing people. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. There's an intentional seeking to that. People hide and go seek. Somebody's the seeker. They're going to look for whoever has hidden. Jesus says, I come to seek and to save that which was lost. There's, a, there's an active pursuit of people who don't know him. And so uh, the way that that actually works in a church like ours, in a day like ours, is, is, is not waiting for the pastors that you've hired to do all of the ministry, but rather for the pastors that you've hired to equip you all, and then we do the ministry together. Because guess who doesn't have access to your office? Me. Guess who doesn't have access to, like, your neighbors? And, I, like, it would be weird if I just tried to show up at your kid's ball game and meet the other parents. I mean, I mean maybe I could try that, but, like, like, let's redeem some, some baseball and some soccer and, and some of these sports, right? Like, you're sitting around other people who, who don't know. Like, this is, this is going to be the application where we're in. Is like, we all are on mission. If we're going to be the salt and light of the world, if you know anything about how they used salt. So I'm kind of all over the place with, with the imagery. But, but Jesus says, my people are going to be the salt and light. This idea of salt, scripturally, was, a pre, was, a, was to preserve, and if you know anything about how they, they actually got it to preserve meat, they don't have refrigeration, and so they needed to get the salt into the meat, and it would, it would keep it longer. Well, you can't just like, it's not just like shaking it on there, right? This is dumping it on, and it's like rubbing it down into the creases and the crevices. Like, that's how it's actually going to preserve the meat. So this world is, is going to decay. It is decaying. Sin is rotting this world. Amen? 
I don't need to illustrate that for you, do I? Just scroll through Facebook, turn on the news, you'll see it. It's happening. Jesus says, my people will be a light in a dark place, and they will be a salt in a decaying world. Listen, does it work? Like, there's a bunch of churches around here. But even if it's just salty in each of those churches, Southern Illinois is still going to decay. But you know when it won't decay? is whenever you all take the good news of Jesus into your spaces, into your crevices, into your spaces of influence. Acts 17 is really clear that, that God has us where we are for a purpose, for his purpose. You live where you live because God has a purpose for you. You work where you work because God has a purpose for you. You play where you play because God has a purpose for you. Your kids do the sports that they do because God has a purpose not just for them, but also for you alongside of those things. Right? Do you see where this is headed? Like, whatever you are doing, this is the idea of making disciples. Is like, as you go, there's an intentionality. It's not just as you go. We should actually be sent and going to places where people don't know. But, but also, it's this, like, as we're doing life, we should be trying to make disciples. And so, this is, this is what Paul's life has become. And, and, and he's actually, if we'll listen, going to encourage us. Because some of you are thinking, ah, I don't, that's not me, Jordan. Like, I don't know how to pre- present the gospel. I don't know how to... To, uh, to be on mission. Well, that's probably because you have the wrong idea of what that even means. Oftentimes we think that to be on mission and to share the gospel is to, to do something like I do or to have this like, you know, acronym memorized and to be able to give this presentation, if you will. Well, what we're going to see from Paul is actually part of the reason that the Corinthians had rejected Paul is because he actually wasn't that compelling. He wasn't a good preacher in the ways that we would say good preacher. He wasn't that entertaining. I've seen y'all nod off with me before. I know I talked for a long time. Paul, a dude fell out of a window because he fell asleep and died. Paul's just like, all right, raise him from the dead. We're gonna keep going. It didn't even deter him. He's just like, yeah, I got more to say. Like, So, and that was part of the issue. And then the other thing, it was he wasn't prosperous. So he didn't have fancy clothes. He wasn't flashy. He didn't have a nice house. Um, he wasn't real articulate. He wasn't charismatic. From what we can tell, and there's evidence all over the New Testament. And so when he leaves, other people who actually are more gifted in many ways come and start preaching and teaching, and people are like, hey, man, we, we kind of like this better. Like, we want to follow a leader that has a, a house like that and a car like that and dresses like that. Like, and, and so Paul comes back in and starts correcting some of their, you know, misdirections, and they're like, Paul, we don't even want to be like you. We don't even, we don't even, we don't even respect you. And so, but here, here's what Paul, he doesn't hang his head. He doesn't go, you're right. I need to do better. I'll buy some new clothes. No, he points them back to the gospel. And and if we'll listen, this is an encouragement to us because the power is not in the giftedness or the charisma or the beauty or the, the appeal of the messenger. The power is in the message. The power is in the gospel. So let's look as he goes on to say, listen, we're not commending ourselves so you can just, you know, to try to argue... We want you to know our motivation so that when people come in and say, 
Why would you follow that guy? You know exactly why, because you're following that guy, you're following Jesus. So, and Paul says, verse 13, it's an interesting verse, for if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. So if we're crazy, all right, we're glorifying God. If, it, if, it's, if, if it's not landing, fine. But if we're in our right mind, it's for you. So he says, we know, like, we're going to live this way. And plenty of people are going to say, you're out of your mind, Paul. Why would you give up the life you had to go and live that kind of life? Why would you give up the life you had to go and be poor and to suffer and to live on boats and to be shipwrecked all the time? Like, you've done enough, Paul. And Paul goes, if you think I'm out of my mind, that just brings glory to God. But if, if it's connecting with you, if I'm in my right mind, then that's, that's good. God is at work. It is for your benefit. For verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Man, this is where it gets so rich and so good. Paul says, listen, here's why we don't care if people think we're crazy or not, because the love of Christ compels us. This is what controls us. We talked about this throughout Ecclesiastes. We've talked about this a lot as we preach through the Bible, because what we see is that uh, whatever has our heart ends up controlling us, right? We, we talk about this often with, with offering. Like, we, we don't, like, God doesn't need our money. He wants our heart, and he knows that money gets our heart oftentimes, and that's dangerous for us. And so he says, no, no, make sure you're trusting in me. Give me some of that stuff so that you're not trusting in it. Let's trust in me. That's safety there, right? So whatever has our heart controls us. So this is a question for you. What controls you? Like what actually dictates how you live, how you talk to people, what you say and don't say, what you spend your money on, what you spend your time doing, what you daydream about, what's controlling you? Because if it's, approval, and if it's what other people think about you, that's going to have a certain effect on what you do or don't do, isn't it? If you're worried about what people think about you, then you're not going to, you know, always do what's right if, if it's not popular with the people you're trying to appeal to. If you're worried about what's going to, you know, increase your financial status, then that's going to have a certain effect on, on you. But Paul says the love of Christ controls us so much so that it actually informs how we behave, what we do with our life. And, and, and he says, because we've concluded this, because he's actually thought about it, let the gospel sink into his life. And he says, because one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake was died, or died and was raised. What in the world is that? That's a mouthful, isn't it? But what he's saying is, this is the good news of the gospel. We, we've realized that there will be no fulfillment of our souls with stuff under the sun. Exactly what Solomon said throughout Ecclesiastes. There will be no fulfillment in that. But we realize that, oh, somebody has died for us so that we can receive what we're belonging for. Because the only thing that will fill our longing souls is a relationship with God. And we can't get that on our own. It doesn't matter how good you are, how much purpose you have, how much you love other people. We're separated from God because of our sin. Someone had to pay the price for that sin. And that someone is Jesus. And, and Paul says, because one has died for all, like now all who come and, and, and meet Jesus, all who surrender their life, we've all died with him. To come to Jesus is to be united with him in his death. When we do baptism, we talk about uh, that, that very reality that, that, man, we're being united with Christ in his death and raised to walk in newness of life. Like, this is, 
This is, when you come to Jesus, you're not just adding him to your life, like, okay, cool, I got the Jesus thing now. I got my ticket to heaven. No, it, it, Bonhoeffer says when, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to come and die. And he didn't make that up. That's Jesus consistently inviting people, saying, hey, come follow me. But to come follow me means you're gonna die to yourself. You're gonna pick up your cross daily. But in the dying to yourself, you'll actually find the life that you've longed for. You'll actually find the purpose, the fulfillment, the wholeness. And so Paul is saying, because Jesus has done this, his whole, like, part of the salvation he has for us is that we who live would no longer live for ourselves, but for the, him who, uh, for our sake, died and was raised. And so here's the deal. If you have just stopped at the forgiveness part of salvation, you've not gone far enough. You've not received the fullness of what God has for you. If all you know is that Jesus died so that your sins could be forgiven and you could be accepted into heaven, praise God for that because that's a truth that we should never get over. But the good news is there's even more. It gets even better because it says when he's died, like because he's died for us all, now those who live, we no longer have to live for ourselves. And that sounds like a negative, like, okay, because you're a Christian, because what Jesus has done for you, now you can't live for yourself, you gotta live for him. But in reality, that's an invitation. That's an invitation to glorious, purposeful, like hard and fast, like steadfast life in the gospel where the 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 waves of this nonsensical world don't knock us over. The pain that comes from the loss of sin and brokenness doesn't destroy us. And, and the monotony of our day jobs or whatever it is or the hardships of our marriage or the loss or the frustration from our kids, they don't destroy us. Why? Because we've been given a purpose beyond all of that. And we could see the purpose for all of them in that. That Jesus has called us to not live for ourselves, but to live for him. That he gave himself, not just that we could be forgiven, but that we could actually surrender our whole lives for him. And so when we do baptisms, we talk about that. We, we say, you know, not only are we united with him in, 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 in death and raised to newness of life, but we ask the question, not only do you acknowledge that Jesus has forgiven your sins, but have you made him the Lord of your life? This idea of Lord is, is like, hey, when we say it, it it's it's on a little card tap, you know, taped to our baptistry, and it says, have you made him the Lord of your life? Meaning, whatever he says to do, you'll do. And wherever he says to go, you'll go. And if, if you haven't taken that step in your relationship with Jesus, where you fully surrendered to him, then you're likely still suffering through this trying to find purpose, trying to find meaning in something other than the gospel. So, man, we don't have to do that. He goes on, verse 16, to say, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We don't look at people the same way anymore. He says, <clears throat> we, we used to even look at Christ regarding, according to the flesh, but we regard him thus no longer. Hey, what's he saying? We don't look at the world the same. We don't look at people the same. We're no longer looking at people to see what we can get out of them or what they can give us. We're looking at people and seeing people that are lost and they need Jesus. Oh, and we have Jesus, so we're back to what Paul says. We're here to persuade them so that they can know where they can find Jesus. Like, uh, I think it was John Piper that says, we're just a bunch of beggars who are telling other poor beggars where they can find bread. Like, this is the, the, we're here not to make you into something like we are, but no, to show you Jesus, to show you where you can find life. So he says, we don't look at people the same way anymore. 
We don't look at them and judge them and go, man, is that somebody I'd want to hang out with? Or is that somebody that can serve my needs and, you know, prop me up? No, we don't, we don't look at people in the same lens and, and judgments that we used to. And you know what I'm talking about. You know that you have a, a tendency to interpret the world and to see people and to make, m- like, micro-judgments on them. Like, oh, that person is crippled. Oh, that puts them here. That person is poor. That person smells. That person is frustrating. That person is annoying. Like, oh, that person is like me. I like that person. That person, I, I wish I could hang out with that person. Like, we make all these micro-judgments about people, and that informs our behavior. That informs who we draw near to, who we talk to. Even here at church this morning. Like, you've made judgments on people uh, and, and who you're going to talk to and who you're not going to talk to. Who you hope talks to you and who you would rather didn't talk to you. If you were here for Journey PM last, last week, we talked about from First Peter, uh, we should show hospitality to one another without grumbling. We should love one another earnestly. Like that, what he's saying is we don't look at people the same way anymore. And we don't even look at Jesus the same way anymore. Some of you are here and you're looking at Jesus. Can he offer me anything? I'm here for myself. I want to know how my life gets better. What can Jesus do for me? Paul says, totally, radically changed now. No longer am I seeing Jesus that way because Jesus has done all for me. Jesus is all for me. He gave his life. And so now what can I do for him? How can I fulfill my purpose in life by serving him? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Verse 17, you've heard this verse before. If anybody's in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, behold, the new has come. This is what happens when people meet Jesus. And and if this hasn't happened to you, if you don't feel like you were made new and given a new hope and a new purpose and, and new desires, then I would ask you to, to maybe wrestle through, did you really meet Jesus? Or, or maybe you just signed on to some religious, you know, this is what I should do. And I, yeah, I got, I got baptized, I did this or that. I, w- I want to press you to think through, like, did you actually encounter Jesus? Because when we encounter Jesus, he says, this is what God has done. Verse, verse 18, all this is from God. This is, this is what God does in us. Old things begin to pass away. All things become new. This is a new creation when we meet Jesus. And he says, all this is from God, in verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul's, again, remember the context here. He's saying, this is why I live my life the way I live it. This is why I'm not after the nice house and the nice clothes and the, the, um, the praise and the applause of men. Because I'm after the praise and the applause of one, one man, and he's given his life for me, and I'm going to give my life back to him. And it doesn't matter what people think of me. This is part of the reason that I think the American church is going through these ebbs and flows of like growth. People will come to mega churches, people are longing for the message, right? But then we see these mega church pastors, we see them fail, we see them get humiliated and removed from ministry. We, we see these struggles. We see all these ups and downs. And part of that is because we've got this flipped upside down, much like the Corinthians did, because we think that what is needed to transform the world is good preachers, fancy churches, and big bands. 
What Paul is saying is, listen, y'all, I'm not even a good speaker. Guess who else wasn't? Moses. You remember that? You remember God calling Moses? And Moses is like, cool, cool, cool. I can't speak good. I stutter, Lord. I know, I want you to be my mouthpiece to my people. Like it doesn't, it doesn't check out. So you got Paul here. He's not an articulate, he's not, he's not a charismatic preacher. So this is a tension for me. I'm like, ah, like I preach worse? Like I don't even know what to do with that. Like it, but but what it what it does say is that the power is not in the messenger, the power is not in the, the sexiness of the church, the power is in the message, the power is in the gospel. And it, and Paul says Romans 1:16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's power for, of salvation to all who would believe. Like this is what we come back to. And this is what it says: like you can be agents of reconciliation because he's made you one of the saved ones, and we sent you out to be messenger to tell other people how they can be saved too. And, and this begins to flip on its head what people, what we naturally are drawn to is appealing lifestyles, charismatic leaders, and crowds and strategies that are working. That's what the Corinthians were drawn to. And Paul says, no, no, no. Go back to the cross. Because the transformation that happens in people, this is from God. Not from your new good preacher. It's from God. Not from your killer band. It's from God. Not from your, your cool building. It, it, it's, it's from God, who, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is what, this is what kingdom growth and, and work looks like. That is, he's going to go further. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. This is what Jesus came to do. Not to start, you know, Big fancy church. Like, he came to reconcile the world to himself. Not counting their trespass against them. Listen, we should never get over this. This is, this is such rich gospel. I want to read it to the end and let's just soak in it and let it compel us back out to, to let go of our lives and to, to live for him the way that Paul is saying, this is, this is how my life is informed. Listen to this. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry or the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, every bit of motivation is, is brought back. Every other line is the gospel in this passage, isn't it? Paul can't go any further into talking about why they do church, why they do ministry without coming back to the gospel and saying, this is it. Like, we do this because of this. When we do that, because of this. And when we do this, it's because of this. Like, this is, the, this is why we, we have given our lives the way that they've given their lives, Paul and his team. And this is why we should also be compelled. Like, if we get the gospel, if we see it, if we see that, like Micah talked about last week, that we're not just kind of sinners, you see, that's, that's part of the problem. When we come to God thinking like, okay, I know I'm not perfect and I know I need some help. Jesus is cool with that. He died so that I could, like, we could, like, be okay with these rough edges. Okay, awesome. Let me have some Jesus. Then, then we just continue following Jesus like that. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. I know I got to work on those things, but like, cool. Thanks, Jesus, for, for giving me of those things. But when we realize what Paul is saying here is, is like, listen, 
the reality of our lives outside of Jesus Christ coming into this world to reconcile it to himself is hopelessness, is filthy, sinful hopelessness. At one point, God is talking to his people. He says, I know you're religious and I know you do some stuff, but your righteousness is like filthy, nasty, menstruating rags to me. Stop it. Stop acting like you're mostly good. Stop acting like you, I, you, I owe you something, God says to his people. I don't owe you anything except hell. Hell is what we've earned. Hell is, is, is what we have gotten with our lives outside of Jesus. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Because that's why Jesus came. And, and the, the glory of that. And listen, you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Like, I, like you don't know me, Jordan. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good person. Like, Whatever, I mean, I've seen other people, and I may, I may not be perfect, but I'm not like them. But here's what he's saying. There's not like this scale of, you know, these are, these are really, really bad people, and these are okay people, and these are great people. And if these okay people can get up here, then I'll let them in. And a few of these, we'll grade on a curve, you know? So like, the, you know, the top percent of the okay people, like, we'll, we'll tolerate them too. But those people, they're, no, it's not like that. We're all on this horizontal scale, and we only get compared to God himself, who is righteous and perfect. And, and guess what? We're all without hope. All of your trespass, all of your pride, all of your lying, your deceptiveness, your lust, your anger that was aimed at your brother, all of those things have earned for you this position of hostility toward God. And it doesn't matter how good you are, how much time you spend trying to be better. That trespass is still there until Jesus comes along. And the good news of the gospel is he says, he's not holding those trespasses against us. Those that would come to Jesus, we can be forgiven. Like, that's, that's what he's saying. And when we get that, when we realize how he's treated us, then we're sent out and we're entrusted with the message of reconciliation. Listen, some of the most incredible stories throughout the Gospels are people like the woman at the well who was at the well at noon because she didn't want to be around people because she had a reputation. She meets Jesus, realizes who he is, is no longer worried about people and her reputation, but instead runs back into town to tell everybody about Jesus. The guy who is possessed by a bunch of demons this guy, they, they don't even know what to do with him. They lock him up and he tears chains, off, like they, they put chains on him. He rips them off and he's back out terrorizing people. He's so demon possessed. Nobody knows what to do with him. He's living in the tombs. Jesus comes along and sets that guy free. And he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, no, you need to stay here. And that guy goes back and starts doing ministry in his town. Like this is, this is what, this is how we see quote unquote revival. This is how we see a movement of God is when People in the seats realize, oh, we are sinners who have been treated incredibly graceful and merciful by a God who had no, in, no obligation to do so. But Jesus has been so kind to us that now we are sent back out to go and tell, to go and love, and to go and serve. 
And so part of what Paul is correcting in the Corinthians is that in the gospel, it's not just the plan of salvation, but it's also revealing our God, that he's a self-sacrificing God, a God who gives of himself for the good of others. And it's also revealing that the way that Jesus was glorified took place on a cross and not on a throne. And that our lives as we follow Jesus will look like a cross and not a throne. Like he tells us, we'll take up our cross. Like he's talking about the cruciform way of life. Paul's saying, yeah, my life is not pretty, but it's, it's for Jesus. And it looks a lot like Jesus's. And so as they were rejecting Paul for not being the image of the pastor that they wanted to have, Paul is saying, hey, you're actually rejecting Jesus. Because maybe he's not the image of the Savior that you wanted to have. And so as we seek to transform the world, as we seek to be on mission, you don't need a PhD in theology. You don't need a, uh, you know, to, to know all of the doctrines in and out. Those, those aren't bad things. But you don't have to have them to be powerful because what Paul has said is, is the gospel is, is what does the work. So I want us to start thinking like, how do we get in relationship with people who are far from God? Because in our area, man, people are kind of inoculated to the gospel. They, they kind of know that they should go to church. They know that they're supposed to pray a sinner's prayer. And, and yet, They've not really been transformed the way that verse 17 says that they, and so we don't want to condemn them for that. We want to invite them to that. Like, I don't know if you've seen it. And so I want, I want us to be a people who are, are thinking about who is near us. Who's near you? Like the life that you live, the rhythms that you have, who's near you that is suffering and that is lost? Maybe it's a neighbor that you've never invited over. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's that family that you see at all the ball games your kid goes to and plays in. Maybe it's you know the waitress at your favorite restaurant that you go to. I, like, I don't know. But start using the things in your life to step toward like. Take intentional steps toward people. Because here's the deal. It's not only what the world needs, it's what you need. So many of us are longing to be connected to God and to experience God, aren't we? Are you familiar with the old Henry Blackaby quote? It says, if you want to you experience God, find out where he's working and join him there. Well, that's not a really hard equation. Where's Jesus going to be working? Amongst the people that are suffering amongst the people that are far from him. As I said earlier, he didn't come and sit in a church and go, okay, whoever will come hear me, they can hear the good news. He's like, no, I'm going to these people that are far from me. I'm going to them. I'm seeking them out. So we want to experience God. Let's go seek out some lost people and introduce them to Jesus. And then you will, like, you will experience God in a way that, that you never thought was possible. Because that's where he's at work. And that's when we see this world transform. But it'll be costly. There's very few people that just have never heard anything about Jesus here in our area. So it won't come from a one-time interaction, likely. But what it will come from is us giving of ourselves repeatedly. Living a cruciform life. 
serving them the way that Christ has served us, giving of ourselves to serve them. Because there's not a lot of people who haven't heard of Jesus, but there are a whole lot of people who are addicted to drugs. There's a whole lot of people who've made a mess of their life, with broken homes, broken relationships. There's kids who are struggling, and it looks like behaviors on the outside to, to those just watching. In reality, there's pain, there's rejection, there's abuse, there's neglect at home, and, and, and those, don't, those don't get fixed quickly with one conversation. And so to do relational ministry is going to cost us. It's going to be messy, it's going to be hard, it's going to take a while. But if we're willing to step in and take the gospel with us, we can actually be the salt and light that Jesus meant for us to be. And we could see this, this area revived by the good news of the gospel. Let's pray. God, help us. We need it. We need to be called beyond ourselves. We need to be stirred to, to loosen the grip of, of our hands on the things of this life. Lord, may we not do it out of some guilt and just talking about what we should do. May your love compel us and control us the way that Paul talked about. May we see you in all of your glory and in the love that you've treated us and may that send us out. Father, I pray for the people in this room. For those that, that don't know you, I pray that you would just, man, go and rescue them today. Grant them the faith to believe in you and, and the to be saved today. For those of us that do know you, Lord, would you begin to stir in our hearts who it is that you're sending us to? Would you begin to open doors for us? Would you begin to open our eyes to see and give us the courage to speak up, to serve, to love, to pray for them? Holy Spirit, come. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. All right, here's the deal. We got a chance to respond. We're singing a final song. A final song. The altar's open. Um, Chad will be over here. I'll be over there. We'd love to pray with you. If you got questions or you don't know Jesus, man, we'd love to pray with you. Maybe you just want to come and lay your life before the Lord and say, here am I. Send me. Where would you have me go? Let's, let's, let's respond together. It's what the Lord is leading us to. And if you have needs, uh, it may have nothing to do with the sermon, but you're just broken and you have needs and you can use prayer. Man, we'd love to pray with you. Whoever's next to you, we'd love to pray with you. You come and let's, uh, let's worship together and let's respond as he leads.